sometimes you get a, a new CD or like something like that and you listen to it and you're like, I really wish I was in this band. Like I could play these songs live and experience what these guys experience. And this record for me is that where it's, I hear it and I immediately smile as soon as that feedback hits on that first track. Like it uh, immediately, like I'm just into it and um, I just want to listen to it straight through. Like I don't skip songs. I don't, I just, I just love this record start to finish. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Talking Records. My name is Jed, and I'm here with Mr. Jay Young. How's it going, Jay? Oh, yeah, it's good. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Talking Records is a podcast devoted to connecting with friends over records we love. Today, Jay and I will be talking about Midtown's 2002 album, Living Well is the Best Revenge. I never thought anybody else would want to talk about this record besides me, so (laughs) I tell you, it's my pleasure to do this. And this is not the first time you and I have discussed this record. No, definitely not. Um... For me, like, this is the one that I always come back to in that era of, like, I would say, like, 2000 to, like, 2004, where records were coming out, and it was, like, one after another every week, and this is the one that just sticks out, like, crazy to me. I had, I remember going to buy it. Yeah. I remember the first time I listened to it, like, straight through and, like, hitting, I didn't even make it through without restarting songs, because I was like, <laughs> holy hell, like, I can't believe some of the stuff they're doing on this record. That's awesome. And I remember these conversations we used to have after late night shows, standing in the parking lots, you and I would be off talking about living well. Dude, it's that that good. You got three guys all singing on almost every single track, and some of the background vocals that are just, no other band would try it. Yeah. And I think that sets them apart in a way that most other bands will never experience. All right, awesome. Well, let's dive into it. Living Well is the Best Revenge was released on April 16th, 2002, on both Drive-Thru Records and MCA Records. Because of the relationship Drive-Thru had with MCA, the smaller label's more successful artists, including Midtown, were upstreamed to the major label. Drive-Thru was run by the brother and sister team of Richard and Stephanie Raines, who Midtown drummer Rob Hitt described as very passionate on the This Was The Scene podcast. According to Rob, it was this passion that sometimes caused the label owners and the band to butt heads. Both sides seem to dig in with a bit of stubbornness over tours, contractual clauses, and royalty checks. By the time Living Well was being made, the relationship seemed to really fray. Drive-Thru had announced itself loudly with the release of Newfound Glory's first record and then seemed to have a six or seven year tear of just pumping out emo pop rock with punk inspirations. Some of my favorite records, one after another. Boom, boom, boom. When MCA suddenly folded after the release of Living Well, the band found itself swept up by Universal, who proceeded to leave the band in major label purgatory. According to Rob on the This Was The Scene podcast, Universal basically told them, you don't have any new music and no label has picked you up, but we're not going to drop you. The band worried they were going to have to break up the band just to get out of the situation they found themselves in. After several attempts to communicate with Universal, The band brought in Crush Music, a musician management company who had a good relationship with Universal to get the band out of purgatory. Can you imagine that? Just being stuck on a label and they won't do anything with your music. You know what's (laughs) horrible is it it happens all the time. Like You hear this from band after band. Real Big Fish is another one that that's what pushed them off major labels is that they... They sat for years waiting to do something and nobody, they just fell through the cracks exactly the same way Midtown did where people just forget about you and it's... The older you get, I think when we're kids, all of us dream like major label, major label, yeah. like that's what I want to do. And then the more you learn and like how the music industry has changed as we've gotten older, 
is that there's just no more like joy to be had from it unless you're astronomically popular unless you're making big money for the label but yeah i've heard so many horror stories yeah. about me yeah about labels it's it's awful i mean i've even seen people where like they're they're on tour and they're like buy our cd and download it off itunes because our label won't send us more copies Ugh. and it's like what what is happening like yeah. that's and that was a victory band like at the time yeah. and it's just like these are things that are going on everywhere yeah well, i think we all know the story with victory oh. <laughs> Eventually, drive through closed up shop in 2008 to concentrate on artist management. All right, back to the album. Recording drum tracks took place at Larrabee East in Los Angeles, California. According to guitarist Heath Saracino, the studio had a great live room. Everything else was done at Media Vortex in Burbank, California. The sessions were produced by Mark Trombino. Trombino had established himself with producing and engineering Dude Ranch by Blink-182, Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World, and Mixing Guilty Till Proved Innocent by The Specials. Not a bad resume. No, and you, if we dove even deeper, you'd see some of the stuff that this guy is responsible for. And I mean, Silverstein. Great uh, sounding record. There's just stuff that you sets the tone for a lot of this era's like sound, yeah. signature sounds. He was the only guy Midtown had in mind for their first record, Save the World, Lose the Girl. Living Will was engineered by Trombino and Justin Smith who had also worked on Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World. They were assisted by engineers Pete Novak and Dave Allert. Setting up the guitar and bass cabs in separate small live rooms at Media Vortex, the band recorded the rest of the tracks piecemeal. During this time, the band was able to experiment with guitar tones and effects that would go into the record. Heath told me, There are two guitar tones on the record, the main one being a tone he felt sounded incredible. But he couldn't recall what it was. Lead guitar was done using a 15-watt Supro, which is more of a blues amp, I think, but it cuts through the mix nicely. According to Heath, the band went into this record with a desire to create more of a cohesive group of songs, rather than just a mix of all their influences. So, like, you know how Save the World is, like, you've got slow songs, you've got fast songs, you've got a... Yeah. Acoustic songs, you've got that 40... I think there's, like, two 40-second songs. I mean, this could be, like, a coming-up-in-bands thing in me, but, like, for me... When I listen to Save the World, Lose the Girl, it's the progression of that's a record I would have made mm-hmm. first go around like that, where it's like they're kind of all over the place because you got songs. When you first start a band, you have songs from everything. Yeah, yeah. And like when your second record, you're like, oh, no, I understand how to pace a record now and how like mm. why people do things a certain way. And I think that's like it's their progressive growth record by record by record. Right. But like I could see how it would drive them nuts like because uh, <laughs> you hear it and you're just like, dude, what? Why would you go, go back and listen to your first record? I'm sure you don't love how it's put together. I like know. it's and it's just one of those things. Like <laughs> he told me we had been a band for two or three years, so we were learning how our band worked. When we got to Living Well, we figured it out a bit more, what our strengths were. He also pointed out to me that a lot of the songs off of their first record came together late, some even being arranged in the studio. For example, the song No Place Feels Like Home didn't even have a chorus until after they were done recording the music. Not wanting to fall into that again, the band spent a lot of time in pre-production on Living Well. According to Heath, we spent about a year demoing songs and playing them out on tour. There was more of a conscious effort to put more time into songwriting. Mark Trombino was much more involved in the pre-production phase of this album, encouraging the band to try different things and lending his advice on song arrangements. According to Heath, he looked at things the way we weren't able to look at them. It's always good to bring in an outside perspective. <laughs> There's nothing I hate more than a band who hires somebody to produce their record 
and then doesn't take the input from that person. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, we know what we're reason. doing. Yeah, but a lot of guys are like that. Like, oh, you made those other amazing <clears> records? <throat> yeah, we know what we're doing. Like, we know guys personally like that. Like, that. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. don't change what I'm doing. Don't yeah. tell me how to do it. And, like, but I think the beauty of a producer is I want that guy who's never heard that song before or is familiar mm. with it but comes at it from a completely different angle than I can because you get too attached. It's like anything. You created it, so you feel like you you don't want to change it because you got it to where you think it's the best it can be. But maybe a small change, a hiccup, you know, an extra part, and all of a sudden you've got something that you're like, oh, my God, that's better than I ever thought it could be. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of the, a person who's not emotionally attached the same way that everybody in the band is. Right. They might hear a hook or, or something that you didn't even think of, and they might ask you to rearrange your, your yeah. song or something or like that. Or maybe you throw a different uh, you know, drum accent here or there, and, mm-hmm. and it brings up another part of the song that people just – sometimes I love when something only happens once in a song. And mm-hmm. I, I always assume that's something from a producer where they're like, hey, do that right here. And I swear to you, people will always look forward to that one part every time it comes up. <laughs> Definitely. Sounds like he had uh, he was pretty involved in this one. Heath recalled having a large budget for recording thanks to their label MCA. He told me, we rented all sorts of shit for that record we didn't even use. For the intro to You Should Know, we had tried to put a Farfisa organ in, but none of us knew how to play it. Trombino mixed the recording at Ecstasy South in Los Angeles. The band had released Get It Together and You Should Know on a split EP with Millencon on Golf Records in 2001. The band had been signed to Burning Heart Records for release in Europe. According to Heath, these tracks were demo versions. Doing a split with an established band was the label's way of getting Midtown's music some notice. Utilizing the emerging internet as a way to connect with fans, the band released Become What You Hate for streaming through the group's website on February 19th two months before the album's release. Then, on March 24th, a faulty foundation was posted online. All right. So, Jay, I want to know, when was the first time you heard Living Well is the Best Revenge? Oh, in pieces, actually. So, kind of the way it came out. Um, I actually heard Get It Together on a drive through compilation record that I had called Welcome to the Family. Mm. And it came in a pizza box. (laughs) And the CD looked like a a pizza. Nice. But, um... I get it together in one other Midtown song. I don't remember what it was, but it was a demo version of Get It Together. So when I got this, I remember the first time I heard it, I had to restart the song like four times because they're they're the same but different. Yeah. And it's like how I always think, like every time we ever recorded a song as a band, the more you get away from it, the more you think, oh, I wish I would have done that differently. Mm. And like to go back in and like just tweak it a little bit, like it must have been neat to get a second chance at something like that. Sure. Um, And then when Become What You uh, Hate was streamed on their website that was it like i i could not wait to get my hands on this cd and i remember dry, day it came out uh i want to say like 10 ish in the morning running to best buy and being like gotta have it right now <laughs> right in grab where it. is it yeah and how'd you get into midtown in the first place so i actually wasn't the hugest fan of save the world lose the girl when it first came out mm-hmm. i liked all the songs every you know uh rock and roll let go like that i liked all those songs but that was one that through this one got me back into the old stuff Something about Get It Together just stuck out to me. I liked the way their vocals were layered. I loved how it was just... These guys understand guitar layering and vocal layering and just extra music better than most bands in this genre. And they like they lean into that as hard as they can. Mm. And that's something that I think... And not only are they three singers, but they're all three capable singers. Yeah. And With it's distinct like, voices. Too. Yeah, you could pick them you out pick very them out, easily, yeah. which one is which. And it even like it pushed me to their other projects after they were done with Midtown because mm-hmm. of that. Like I just love the way they approach music. I discovered the band's first record, Save the World, Lose the Girl, at the radio station as an undergrad at Westfield State. All these CDs used to come in, and 
I used to just take stacks of CDs back to my dorm room oh. and just rip through them and just like throw them in the CD player. You know, listen to like the first seven seconds of like each song. And be like, oh yeah, Poppy, yeah, this one, this, this one sounds like a good one for play. You know, I'd scan the lyric sheets for swears and I'd cross out you know the track numbers with the songs that swears in them. And I just would just mow through CDs. And I remember the first time I popped in Save the World, I knew I was listening to something noteworthy. I just remember that opening, the God, I wish it could hit you. Dude, it's huge. And it is like, it, it, <laughs> it just grabbed my attention. And I remember like <clears throat> four songs went by and I hadn't written anything down. I hadn't made any marks. I was just listening. Because there's a lot, it's a lot to digest with them. Yeah. I think every time you listen to it, it's a different thing you pick out, a different, like, uh, I, even prepping for this background vocals, I've just never thought to like uh, focus on before during yeah. the chorus of a song. And I'm like, my God, I'm like, these guys are, <laughs> they must have spent forever tracking this yeah. in the studio. The band was high energy with incredibly memorable songs, intricate vocal harmonies, like you mentioned, and layered song structures. They sounded like a big, loud rock band inspired by pop and punk. I loved that the band featured three vocalists, too. I thought that was awesome. Now, they all sang on the same songs together. It wasn't like one guy had one song and one guy had another song. They would just all swap lines in the same song, sometimes like the same bridge. Yep. And it was like, <laughs> even to see them live, they they would walk mic to mic. So if they had three mics across the front of the stage, they were never at the same mic. They were oh, always man. kind of moving around. Just popping around. And that was something that, as a, like, I always loved that when you saw a live band and they were just all over the stage. Yeah. And it was like, they just in and out of whoever's part it was and like it... You can't help but get sucked into that performance because mm -hmm. it's like you can see these guys like having the time of their lives, but it comes across in their recorded music too, I think. And like you, when Living Well came out, I immediately scooped it up. I remember grabbing it for six ninety nine at Best Buy. Do you remember that? They had that promotion? I remember I got it. it. They used to that whole string of like three or four years, I don't think anything was more than like nine ninety nine. Yeah. But like that one I remember putting it in the record player or the C D player at the time because we're old. Uh, and thinking what a steal it was for $7. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe I just bought this for 7 bucks. I know. I got away with something. Yeah. Thought, yeah. <laughs> From the very first fade up, uh, the album just ripped. In fact, you know, my band No Intention totally stole that fade up when we recorded a song called Better Off. Oh. Totally stole that. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. This, we legit took this record when we went to record our first full length, mm -hmm. a sketch, Handed it to our engineer and said, make us sound. We want our guitars <laughs> to sound exactly like this. Because it Do is, us like this. Dude, it, they're so full. Everything is mm. just in your face. And it's it has this like live feel to it. But it's everything is clear. Clear as day. Every single part is easy to pick out. Yes. And that's like, in today's day and age, you know, I think they were recording. I would assume most of it was digital. But even then, like it, to have everything come through like that in the mix is still, I think, like an accomplishment. Yeah, from start to finish, this album just sounds great. I mean, they're really in the zone with this one. The emo rock punk boom in the 2000s kind of grabbed my attention, you know, back then. And I remember cycling through these drive through bands. And I liked a lot of them. I feel like none of them really had the lasting impression, though, that Midtown had. For me, at least. Midtown and Newfound Glory for me are the mm -hmm. two that just I'll never as old as I get as they aged with me like to this day if Newfound Glory puts out new music I grab it yeah. and that's <laughs> I always associate them with drive through records like that's yeah. the that's when I got heavily into this kind of music and that was one of the first things I discovered was that label and it was like every single band one after another had something to offer and then as they started to sign up they got that second Newfound Glory had Sticks and Stones, and it came out on MCA. Mm -hmm. And it was like, wow, it was this huge, like, mega record. Yep. And then this comes out right behind it, and I'm like, these guys are just 
crushing, yeah. crushing record after record. And, and it's, it. and you see, you couldn't wait for the next band to have that, that sophomore release that was similar to whatever they did, but you know, it showed the growth of the band from that point on. It was just awesome. It was a great time to be, I feel like we came up in the best time to be fans of this genre of music. Yeah, <laughs> definitely caught it in, the, in that moment. All right, you ready to break this thing down track oh, by track? Let's do it. Awesome. All right, first track on the album, Become What You Hate. This song just builds up like an engine and then just takes off, setting the tone for an incredibly energetic record. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I you can't <laughs> say it any better than that. This, If you don't hear this and immediately get excited for what's about to happen, I don't understand. We don't listen to music the same way. No. Because like this is, I'll say till the day I die, this record starts and finishes as well as you could ever hope to like pick two songs to open and close a record. Definitely. And it like immediately it's high energy. It's when they break into the vocals right off the bat, it's just huge. Mm -hmm. And you can feel them. Like he's in that microphone. You can see it in your head. You can feel what he felt like. I don't know how they got that so perfectly across. Mm. You mentioned feel it. Like, yeah, I listen to music and I feel music and this record, like I feel these songs, like it's impossible for me to sit still or just listen. I'm not doing anything else. Yeah, you just get spin kicking in my kitchen. <laughs> you get sucked in. It reminds you. It reminds me of what it was like to be in a band. And it's like even when I listen mm. to it now, it's that immediate, like you could picture yourself on stage, just lost in music. And I yeah. think that's the beauty of stuff like this is that it automatically pulls you right back in. But the second you put it back on, you're like, oh my god, I remember exactly why I love every yep. second of this record. Definitely, just pounds you. Drummer Rob Hitt was unable to confirm or deny on the This Was The Scene podcast whether this song is about drive through records, <laughs> as he didn't write it. But a quick listen to the lyrics seems to suggest that it certainly could be. The song says, I've been working for something oh so fake, but I'm not working for you no more. There are also lines like, how could I have ignored so many signs, especially when my friends warn me about your deceptive side? And... It's not that you lied to us. It's not that our friendship was a front. It's just that I can't see the real in you. It paints a pretty grim picture of a deteriorating relationship. It does, but it also paints a pretty realistic picture of how people hold on to most relationships. Mm, it's true. Because, like, yeah, you're gonna become, you may become what you hate, but what's it worth to you? Like, mm. and I think that's the, mm -hmm. like, when I hear this song, I, I think to myself, yeah, they're soured, but it didn't start there, and they're and they're sad they got there. Yeah. It's not like a triumphant, like, I see you for what you are. To me, mm -hmm. it's more of a, it sucks that I see you for what you are. It just kind of mm -hmm. is what it is. Right. And that's a different, as you get older, I think that makes more sense to you where you're like, oh, Jesus, like, that's sad. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, I, I've, you know, you've lived it. I've lived it. It's like, right. you see these things We've differently before, than you did. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny how you listen to this different, you know, what was it? It came out in 02, you said? Yeah. 18 years ago. Like, that's that's a lifetime, like, for us. You know what I mean? And it's it like, 18-year-old me, whatever it was, oh 21, yeah. is like, <laughs> I, I heard these songs totally different than how I listen to this record now. Definitely. I'm shaking my head at 18-year-old Jed. You know. Oh, yeah, same. I don't, you know. <laughs> You've got a lot to learn, son. Oh, God. What Rob was able to confirm was that Vinny from I Am The Avalanche slash Movie Life sang on this song, but 
drive-thru, feeling the song was about them, tried to block the song from being on the album. When that didn't work, according to Rob, they said, We will not allow you to release the album unless you take Vinny off the track. Vinny's band was signed to drive-thru, and I guess they had the power to make that demand. Because Vinny's vocal was removed, guitarist Heath sang Vinny's part instead. That is a super cool fact. Yeah. Uh, because I can't picture that song sounding any different. But again, <laughs> I have a like sick emotional attachment to this record. Mm-hmm. So like, it, and again, if they had pulled that song off, I can't imagine. I know. It's a different. Imagine? It's a whole. Yeah. It's a totally yeah. different experience without that. Because it's such a like you had mentioned earlier. It's such a great start. Yeah, to the I, it's. I, I'm jealous every time I hear it because I think to myself, <laughs> man, if you would put this, what it must have been like to put that song together. Yeah. Because you know when you're writing a song and like you, it, you know, piece by piece, the drums, you figure out the drums, you figure out the guitars, and then you start to add the fun stuff that makes it interesting. And like I can only imagine being four guys in a room coming up with some of these songs and being like, you just get excited. Mm-hmm. As you play through them, all right, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it yeah, again. Yeah. And like you get everybody smiling, you get excited. You're not even singing yet because you don't have vocals. And it's like you're just trying to figure out how to pace it. And it's like mm-hmm. that's the stuff that I think it comes through on all these songs where you can hear it. Like they sat, they must have been stuck together for however long. <laughs> that extra work, the demo work they put in was worth it. Like yeah, it, it definitely was. According to bassist and songwriter Gabe, the song describes types who compromise their beliefs for success. The song is about liberating yourself from those people. So while it could be about the band's former label, it can be applied in so many different ways. The band picked up many new fans when this song was featured on the PlayStation game ATV Quad Power Racing. That's true. I forgot about that. Dude, how, was, how important uh, was video games to music back in the day? Uh, hugely. I discovered <laughs> bands that I should have known about from other things through video games. Yeah. Tony Hawk Pro Skater was a great one. They used to pick great soundtracks to, to introduce you to bands that you hadn't heard before. Suicidal Tendencies was when I got from that. Like, I had never heard any of their stuff, and that pushed me into a whole other genre of punk that I just had never even thought about. Like, yeah. it just wasn't my scene. I had to sort of live vicariously through Craig because I only had, like, Nintendo. And I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, Nintendo didn't have any cool no, soundtracks. No, 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 no. I was playing, like, Mario Kart, you know, and, like, all these people were talking about the great soundtracks of Tony Hawk. And I never – I honestly – Probably played Tony Hawk once in my entire life. I don't think games had soundtracks where it was part of the game until yeah. like PlayStation and like that era forward. Yeah. But a lot of those ATV games had a lot of cool this songs. kind of band and like a lot of like heavier rock bands. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it was a great way for people to discover music that aren't necessarily going to look for it. And you're going to hear the song a million times while you're trying to beat that level, uh, or you know, <laughs> yeah, the earworm is going to be there straight through, and you're never uh, going to be able yeah. to get rid of it. That's great. All right, next song, still trying. A song about the breakdown of trust in a relationship, whether it be with a girl or a former record label. Gabe sings, And I know from my mistakes before I should have seen the truth. Do it one more time, and it'll be my fault for trusting you. Could I ever trust the words you say? The thing about trust is, you put yourself out there, expecting the other party to meet you halfway. When that doesn't happen, you can feel left out, hanging in uncertainty. It's a very vulnerable feeling, and Gabe speaks of this breakdown happening again and again. Gave up on feeling strong and buried them. It seems so pointless. It's an angry song over a bouncy rhythm. 
I love it. <laughs> I so love it. You guys know me. I've just said, charges forward, then that. Yeah, that I've chorus, said for man. years you can say whatever you want as long as you put a poppy enough, like catchy <laughs> chorus behind it. Like people don't care. Yeah. And it's again, like some of these songs are most of these songs on this entire record are about relationships. Yeah. And it's. They're not happy ones, but no, the music but the is music so... makes you and again, but it also thinks it gives a positivity to a lot of these things that they wouldn't necessarily be there. Mm. Like he's not even though a lot of these songs are negative and like they talk about the bad sides of things. I don't know if it's the way it's presented or how they attack it, but it almost comes across with this air of like positivity that like eh, it'll be all right. Like it's just that yeah, you know you gotta yeah. express these feelings somehow. Well, it's not like it's not whiny and like and like down it's it's almost in your face it's like like they, they yeah. want you feel it you can experience it the same way because it, they almost come at it with that like straight up anger towards it but it's poppy mm-hmm. and that i think it makes it accessible for a lot of people because Definitely. you can just get sucked in and a lot they're great at a hook like when they want to yes. get you with something they will catch you yeah oh yeah oh yeah i just love how this song opens up with just this full force drive forward and then goes into that super bouncy chorus i mean this formula to me is like pop punk gold yep <laughs> timeless up. it'll always work like it's yeah. th- they literally say still trying to say and everybody yells yeah yeah and you can't i dare you put it on i guarantee you're yelling yeah at that oh, exact totally. same time with them and it's like i know all the yeahs and the woos yeah are. oh because it's fun because they're having fun and you can hear it and it's like that is something that i always love about bands that record records where they try to do it and capture what they are on stage yeah because you get that you can see them like you can literally picture them in your head and mm-hmm. that makes it it adds another layer to listening to a record. Definitely. According to Heath, the bridge of Still Trying, it's like all kinds of loops of sounds that we created, and Mark cut them together to make that bridge, which kind of came out sounding like a video game. It's a really cool part, and it doesn't seem like it would work in this song, but it totally does. It's interesting that this was something Mark assembled as producer slash engineer. As an artist, I don't know how you could explain something like this to an engineer and then have it come out the way you want it. I once explained to an engineer that I wanted descending guitar slides that sounded like fireworks peeling off, uh, and he looked at me like I was nuts. Dude, <laughs> I got a thousand stories about things we've asked engineers <laughs> Can for. Can you just have like a guitar slide? Yeah, I don't know how you get that. So, I mean, it, again, like you mentioned earlier, as producer, as someone that they relied on heavily for ideas and stuff he just came up with really cool things i think sometimes too when you find a guy you trust uh Mm -hmm. you don't have to work as hard to achieve the final goal Mm. so like i have one one of my friends that does it too like i just click with so you get stuff like this like when you you can bring up an idea like i might want like a reverse swell or something weird here Mm. and then he'll click 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 and then all of a sudden you've got better than you ever could have imagined it coming out and like i think that's the beauty of that relationship between producer and band is it's like anything, any artist to somebody else. You go to get a tattoo and you bring them a shitty drawing and you're like, this is kind of what I want. Mm-hmm. And then they blow your mind with whatever it is they come back with. And I think that's the same way. Bands have great ideas, but you need that next person to help shape them into great songs. And it's like, there might be the little tricks in the studio that you may never hear live, but it makes a recorded song that much better. And that's a hard thing to balance for a lot of people. Like even myself, I don't like to do things on a record if I can't recreate it live on stage. Mm, definitely. Yeah. But the beauty of three singers is most of the stuff they tried, and they're both guitarists are very capable guitarists. So you're getting they're both playing their lead parts, they're both playing rhythm parts, and it's it's the go between from everybody that fills that band out. And I think you just get this cohesive unit of four guys that most people can't pull off. Definitely awesome. All right. Next song, get it together. (laughs) 
I love this song. It is this is one I heard, like I said, ahead of it coming out. And mm. to hear it recorded like this is just it starts with an acoustic guitar. Actually, I think it's on this version it is it's like a no effect. It's like the trebles. Way yeah, up. yeah. Super high. It just sounds yeah. it sounds almost shitty, but it's like it it immediately pulls you in, you know. And then when they that first feedback kick before they come in together is it, it's huge. I don't know yeah. how this guy did it, but like he understands where to drop heavy bass and all these other things that just get you right away. And the drums are super crisp when they come in and it just even though it's a slower paced song, it still hits just as hard as the first two. Definitely hits hard, yeah. I remember this was actually the first song I heard from this album too. And I heard it on the 2001 Warp Tour compilation that came out on side one. And, you know, it was the demo version. I just remembered really liking that demo. And then when I found it on this album, and like you just said, the way it was like re-recorded with all the production and oh. the fullness, I was just like, whoa. Like, you get, and I think, yeah. honestly, for me, this is the record that had me fall in love with production. And yeah. it's the one where yeah. I... I used to always love those raw demo versions of everything. And then when I heard this, I was like, in my head, when we were writing music, this is always how I wanted it to sound. Polished, mm. clean, it, uh, perfect. You know what I mean? Like mm. it, it just, for some reason, it comes across, you just get this cohesive vision. And this is the one that like just, it made me strive for that straight through every time we came up with something because I was like, I know what it can be. Yeah. I really also think it depends on what you're listening to. Like, I want certain things to sound like this. I want Midtown to sound like this. I want Jimmy Eat World to sound clean like this. Like, other bands, like Minor Threat, I want Minor Threat to sound like shit. Because, 100%. like, that's just like, and I'm not saying it sounds like shit, but, like, I want those records to be rough because that's the attitude. Yeah, and there's a charm to that, too. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. When you go back and get demo versions of bands you love, there's a charm to hearing, especially having come from a music scene. Yeah. You know what it's like to put a song together. And, and I'm old enough to remember, you're old enough to remember what it's like to hit a boombox and turn mm. it on and try to record it on a, on a yep. cassette tape yep. and how <laughs> shitty it can sound. And it's like, it, there's something timeless about that when you hear the demo version of something is you're like peek into what they were like at that age mm. or like it, everybody's the same. You get to kind of experience it like, oh, yeah, I could get there, too. I just got to work harder at it. Or I always thought you had to be in a major studio with these people. And then, you know, the more you learn, you find out that a lot of it is like digital tricks and yeah. just learn <laughs> or learn to play your instrument like oh, yeah. <laughs> better than you ever did before. Or be a better musician. Yeah. Work at it, kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. With Gabe handling most of the vocals on this one, it's a song about trying to maintain a relationship with someone who doesn't quite have things together. In this song, the person the band is talking about seems to need attention. Because you've done so much with your life to have to settle for a need to feel, a need to try, a need to feel whole. You need to be comfortable in your own skin, you know? I guess you can't really love others if you don't love yourself, right? I mean, that's a that's a lesson. As a kid, I just love this song. As an adult, I absolutely understand oh, totally. what it's like to have to change yourself. And yeah, like, yeah. again, you need to learn to be alone. One of the best pieces of advice I was ever given is you need to learn to be alone. And I feel like until you're happy by yourself, you're never going to be happy with other people. It's You think you are, but it's – and I think that's a great message is like no matter how much you love somebody, if they can't love themselves, you can't fix them. Right. And I think that's something that you can apply to so many facets of life that it's it's why – it's probably why we were both immediately drawn to this song yeah. without yeah. thinking about it as kids. You know what I mean? You can't love and you, you can't allow yourself to be loved. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it sounds so cliche and easy, but it's – I mean, go try it. <laughs> All right, next song, like a movie. She tries to erase, she tries to replace. 
According to guitarist Heath, that intro was the hardest thing for me to play on the record. Those three notes were just impossible. I just couldn't nail the timing of it, and the acoustic guitar was mic'd so closely, and you'd have the compressors going, you'd pick up every little pick scratch, or if you breathe too heavily. I can, I can attest to that, being in a studio, under the microscope, trying to get something right. Oh. Yeah, well, I always thought I was an adept guitarist as a drummer. And uh, then the first time I recorded a guitar, I was shown that I was not because you hear the pick slides and the and And the the hiccups and like so I can only imagine on an acoustic guitar the what how nerve wracking it must have been and it's so clean yeah like it is some of the cleanest like picked guitar that you'd ever hope to hear. It's a song about a girl who doesn't understand why her life didn't turn out more like the things she sees in movies. Try to forget about living the good life, free of positions that make her feel vulnerable. I think we're all guilty of this a little. Whether it's like, you know, movies or songs, we like to get caught up in the excitement and romanticism of what our lives could be like if they adhered to those fantasy notions of how things should be. And isn't that a little dangerous? It's a lot dangerous, Uh, (laughs) but it's also a lot easy. And I think that's the hard part is that, especially in our age now of social media and everything else, it's everybody flaunts the perfectness of their lives. Nobody puts out the hard stuff and the bad days and the like. So you get caught up in the, you know, what it's like to live that movie life. And it's, it, it is, yeah, it's super dangerous for a lot of people. It makes people very aware of like what other people are doing. Yeah. And, yeah. It's in very, an unhealthy way because yeah. like it, you got to learn that what happens in other people's lives doesn't dictate your life. And I think that's hard for a lot of people because, and, and myself included, you get jealous of things you see. You get you want to be somewhere else in life than you're at. And it's like mm-hmm. sometimes stopping yourself and remembering that everybody's on a different path. You got to figure it out for yourself. And it kind of gives you perspective sometimes that I think a lot of people either don't want or just can't find the time to like just take a breath for a second. Sure. And to hold yourself to that standard like of the things you see in movies and songs. Uh, Nick Hornsby wrote in the novel High Fidelity, what came first, the music or the misery? Did I listen to music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to the music? Do all those records turn you into a melancholy person? <laughs> uh, no. I'll say no because, I, like, again, say whatever you want but put it against something that is upbeat and po- mm. almost positive sounding. Mm-hmm. I never once – this record never once made me depressed in my life. And I, you could – I mean I, you could apply a lot of emotions to all these songs and make them personal. But for some reason it just – the presentation is so different from other things that I, I can't help myself. I just sing along. Yeah, it's packaged in a way that doesn't allow you <clears> to feel <throat> to feel bummed out about it. Yeah. And even then, like I said, they still have an air of like it, almost positivity on the back end. Like they're mm. never singing about it like it's life or death. It's it's perspective. And I think that's something different than a lot of bands do. But especially on this song, like it's very sing-alongable when they hit the choruses. And the bridge is, I don't believe in anything, but I believe in you. I never mm. trusted anyone, but somehow yeah. I trust you. And then he says, if I fall away someday, you might find me. And I think when you hear that, like that's a positive. Yeah, maybe that other person does help you someday the way they're tr- he's trying to help them now. And I think that's a nice, even if you get caught up, don't give up on people like yeah. almost. And I think it's a neat way to, that bridge has always grabbed me for some reason every time I've ever heard it. I like that bridge. I, I love the way they're like building up tension before the section where they getting vocal, the fall away part. Oh. That, 
Oh, man. You know, it's kind of like a musical nerd. I always, like, picture, like, Heath on one side of the stage with, like, the spotlight on him. And then whoosh, it goes over here to Tyler, who sings the next oh, part. Oh, 100%. Like, you know, it's, like, it's definitely, like, a musical. Um, <laughs> and it's, but that's that. almost how they put their songs together, too. Like, yeah. you can hear it. Like, they all – and they play like them parts, live. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. they did that live. Like I said, they walked to the mic, come away from the mic. And it was, like – it was just a neat way to – have everybody involved in the band. I, just, I don't know. I was always jealous of having like three, three singers like that. I thought yeah. it was the greatest thing. I love that bridge. I do have one criticism, though. Oh, let's have it. One criticism. I'm not wild about the distorted effect, which was added to the vocal line someday. Oh, okay. I find They have such great voices. I wish they hadn't added that effect. For the, the tonal quality I of when he, goes, when he says someday, just it just shoots through my brain. And I guess for me, I anticipate I can let that go because I anticipate the the drums are going to hit and that solo is coming in. And the yeah. solo is so simple, yeah. but you're like, you can't, after the slower bridge, you just start rocking your head again because you're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, these guys just, yeah. they know how to get right back in. But I would agree with that. Well, like they, yeah. I could have done without that vocal effect. I had to find one thing about this record. I had to find We're really you know, nitpicking. Yeah, now. <laughs> I had to find one thing because I th- I think it's great. And I was like, all right, there's got to be something. People out there are gonna think we're just obsessed with, uh, <laughs> and we are. But yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie about it. Like I I got rose colored glasses when it comes yeah. to this one. Oh, totally. According to Heath, this was the song they felt would be the single, and so they spent extra time on it. And I think it comes across. Yeah, Mark, who was into sound manipulation, worked on adding extra effects to the track. According to Heath, there's a snare echo in like a movie that sounds like a bottom snare that hits later than the top snare. It sounds almost like sucking air out. This song definitely has that. That's a great like like fact about it because it is the most polished I think you can of tell the bunch. Time on it, like yeah. you could, I could hear it on a soundtrack to a movie or something. Oh, totally. Like, it's just very clean, very well produced for that era, and it. It, again, with, that, with the exception of our nitpick of the vocal effect, it's perfect. It is. Like, it is one of those songs that I'm like, the drum fills are perfect. The pacing is perfect. It just, they bring you up. They bring you down. And it, there's no, I can't make any other changes to it where I'd be like, I would do this different. I just can't. Yeah, we're going to move on to the next song. There's no going back. Maybe another song about drive through Maybe not. Being in a relationship could be a lot like being on a record label. You need to trust the other. Sometimes you get hurt. Sometimes one side does more of the heavy lifting. Sometimes people feel betrayed. So maybe they wrote this one about letting go of a girl with feelings around the label, kind of swirling in their heads, you know? Like maybe it was an amalgamation of the two swirling around the old subconscious. Yeah, I mean... I... Again, anybody's ever been in a relationship that they weren't necessarily ready to have end or didn't want to end? Mm. Or if you have one that ends and you don't know how it happened. And I think that's kind of what you get here is they're dealing with trying to figure out how something they probably really loved at one point became Mm. sour for them. Yeah. And I think that's relatable for a lot of people. And it's they probably don't like that it's a sour relationship. Like it's not something that they ever went into it, I'm sure, hoping to find. But it you can't help those feelings sometimes when you have them and, and you know, you think nobody else understands. Then you hear something like this. You're like, all right, well, you know, you're oh, not yeah. alone with that feeling. <laughs> it's not ridiculous. And I think that sometimes this is as musicians, that's how a lot of people express that stuff. You have to put it into song and it's cause you got to get it out. 
And that's the best way sometimes. But then anybody else, that's the beauty of it is you can interpret it a hundred different ways. And sure. that's what makes music interest, interesting, I guess, is that everybody hears it different. You can sort of take your own meanings from yeah. what you're hearing. Gabe sings, look how far we've come. Oh, yeah, there's no going back. Look at what we've done. There's no sense in saying that accusing you of using me ain't right, but I will not give up without a fight. He's saying, look at all these things we've done and how much they meant. Things might be over, but I can't just throw it all away. But I also am not going to just roll over and accept the pain. It's pretty good stuff. I mean... I mean, again, I'll tell you this. You can relate to it on many different levels. In a big way. And yeah. like, again, the older you get, you listen to music different. I hear those lyrics now and you can immediately apply them to getting older where it's like you might find the person you want to be. Sometimes you got to leave other people behind. And that is not because you want to, because it feels good or right, but it's because it's part of your growth. Yeah. And I think they perfectly capture like, I'm not going to get walked on, but I still have all this history. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to look back on it and be negative about it or angry, but it's at the same time, I'm not going to be that person again. And I think that's a great, it's real. It's as a real a lesson as you can learn in life. According to Heath, when we recorded it, we thought the pre-chorus was going to be the chorus. But Mark thought that the chorus we had was a better pre-chorus, so we switched it. If you listen to the arrangement of the song, it's kind of all over the place. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> So it's like we were talking earlier. You bring a guy in who hears things differently, asks you to sort of switch the arrangement of your song around, and you got you to gotta trust. I mean, why would you hire someone you didn't trust? But it's cool that they were willing to say, all right, let's give it a shot and see how it turns out. Yeah, and I think, again, one of the hardest things to learn as a musician is to take input from other people. Definitely. Because... You think it's perfect. You wrote it. Yeah. yeah. And of course, and especially if you're like an adept musician where you feel like you you understand your instrument, you understand how to structure a pop song or something like like that you're working on. I know where I like to put a hook in a song. Mm -hmm. But sometimes somebody will tell me something and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have done it like that. And I'm like, it's hard sometimes to take that step back and be like, maybe I'm not right in this particular instance. But then who knows too, they could have tried it flip-flopped like that and immediately had their minds blown by it. Because mm. I've had that happen before too, where I tried mm. something and I was like, oh my God, it's so much better like yeah. this than it ever could have been the other way. <laughs> sounds way better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's the fun of putting songs together is that you get those excited moments where it you feel like a little kid again because you're like... You, Nothing else matters except what you're working on in that second. And that mm-hmm. is a feeling that I, I'd kill for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, yep. it's that good. Yeah, definitely. Songwriting is, is, is fun. It's, it's a great experience. And it's fun to collaborate with people and get ideas and put things together. Especially when you're on the same page with those people. Because I think you get, like, a, you almost get more excited because everybody kind of hears it the same way. And they, they all know what the end goal is. So you, you all kind of work as a cohesive unit instead of, like, button heads to figure out how to get there. Mm. And it just, it comes across in all the finished product because you get this, what I think is like a masterpiece start to finish. Toward the end of the song, the band layered different vocal lines at one point singing three different lines. It's pretty awesome. You would think that it would be, it would totally clog up the section, but they pull it off. The band had done something like this on the song, come on from their first record. And I had loved it then. I was really glad to see them take another whack at it. Oh, of course. On this song, yeah. What else is there in this era of pop punk than the super chorus? And it's like, <laughs> it, it, 
I love it. Barry Moore. More vocals, the better, because I want to sit there and pull them apart piece by piece mm-hmm. and figure out why they did it, like how that fit together, and or try to learn the other vocal parts, because it's yeah. it's that much fun to sing along to something different that nobody else will pick out. Or every time you hear it, you follow a different line. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the fun. Or if, better yet, I'll, I'll tell you how nerdy I am. Get two of your friends in the car that can sing and have everybody try to pull oh. it off separately of each other like that. And it's like, those are the fun parts oh, of man. like listening to music with yeah. other musicians. Josh and I used to travel to shows, long distances to shows, and we would just take different vocal lines as we sang our of way course. down to like Connecticut. Or... It's great practice too, because yeah. if you're going to do it on stage, you might as well practice yeah. it. How are you going to yeah, get yeah. good at it? And it's Definitely. like, when you hear these guys do it, it lets you know that. I feel like a lot of the local bands around here, not enough of us tried it. Where it was like, put mm. pe- more people. If you get two people that can sing in your band, you should be going after harmonies. I yeah, feel definitely. And I think that was. Well, a it's miss. hard to pull off live because a lot it of times, how many times you showed up to a gig and there's no monitor. You know or, what? I, you yeah. know, I forget that part. That yeah. you know, we played shows with a guitar amp for a oh, and sound everybody system can't hear, a, and everyone's all over the place. Yeah, you really got to rely on the other guys in the band. You but have it, to, yeah. at the same time, it's those are one of those things. I think if you saw a band do that it was it, you immediately stood out in the local scene for sure. just for going after it Definitely. and i think that's a cool for us anyway like when i was in a band this is these guys were the staple where i was mm. like that's how you layer vocals together mm-hmm. and get the most out of it it was just cool to watch you play drums and sing at the same time everybody says that and i i always think it's like such a a useless skill cuz i've been doing it for so long but yeah. i'm like I'm always amazed when I see somebody play guitar without ever having a hiccup. Like r- really great rhythm guitarists that are all over their fretboards and they're still singing. I'm always like, I yeah, I could play drums all day and never attempt to do what those guys are doing. All right, the next song is perfect. Guitarist Heath Saraceno sings this one. It's a song about having high hopes for something, only to maybe not have those hopes fully realized. I think. (laughs) I get a sense that there were, you know, missed opportunities. Uh, Heath's pining for what could have been. He describes things as could be perfect. But perfect is is such an unattainable goal. You know, like nothing, nothing is perfect. I mean, we've been throwing perfect around talking about this record. But, you know, like nothing is really perfect you know we build these things up in our minds but again too it it has to do with when you encounter these things your view of perfect is different depending on where you're at in life definitely and i think like that's one of my biggest fears is that i have friends that look back on being in bands negatively because they didn't go as far as they wanted to or they didn't do Mm. this with that Mm -hmm. and i never wanted to be that guy because Mm -hmm. like and you guys will attest to it we've been at a lot of the same shows yeah we both have played some shows that are like for local bands I never thought I'd experience things like that. Mm. And like it, those are the things I think about when I'm like, that's, that's as good as it gets. Like yeah. that was as good as it was ever yeah. going to get. And it's, I think I know what show you're talking about. Oh, dude, <laughs> We've had a few, like you yeah, think about, it. we've had yeah, a couple that are just true. like ragers. Well, our bands, your band sketch and my band, our band, no intention. We have played huge shows together. And shows to nobody. And then shows to each other. Yeah. You played to us, we played to you. And, and, and not just a couple times. Like, this so is like years been, of our lives yeah, together. And yeah. it, when you play these big shows, it's that's the thing that I think too many people look for perfect, like you're saying. Like, it's this, this mythical thing. What's not perfect about those shows? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. but you, you forget to go back and just 
it's hard to enjoy while it's happening right. for a lot of people. And I think that's how this song relates to life is that everybody's thinking, oh, it's going good, but it could be going this much better. And it doesn't necessarily need to go that much better. Maybe what's happening right now is exactly what's perfect for you. And I think mm. a lot of people can't, mm-hmm. myself included, I have a hard time taking that breath sometimes where it's like, no, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's part of the process. Heath remembered that while doing drum tracks at Larrabee East, he played guitar along with Rob to serve as guide while he wailed away. I had left my volume on while Rob was playing the intro, and when we listened back, the drum tracks were muted. We could hear his drums coming through the guitar line and thought it sounded really cool. The band ended up using the drum sound from the scratch guitar track as the intro to the song. That's awesome. You know, it's got more of a swinging rhythm, the song. It's almost, it's almost kind of like Weezer-like. It very much is. Um, it has that opening drum track, the effect on it, the way it mm. comes through. It has that big recording room feel, yes. live drums. You get that very no effects, no nothing, just drums in a room by themselves with mm-hmm. the room mic, I assume is what picked it up. Yeah, big echo. And it's then, again, these guys are genius when it comes to bringing the whole band in right after that. Because mm-hmm. you get that bop, 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 and then all of a sudden they're in. And it's, again, slow song. No, it never picks up the pace, but it's huge yeah. all the way through. It's big. It's loud. Those big downstroke guitars. You could tell, like, I, I got to assume it's got to be Les Paul's through, like, Marshall's most of this record. And yeah. it's just the, the guitars <laughs> are fat, and they mm. it just they sound like – I wouldn't even consider this a pop punk record for me. This, to me, is one of the best rock and roll records that – Start to finish, these guys just rock on every song, yeah. and they, it holds up. Like, put them on stage right now and let them play through these songs. And I'm telling you, like it, they don't sound dated at all. Definitely not. All right, we're gonna move along quickly because the next song is my favorite song. Here we go. Interesting. You should know. I absolutely love this song. <laughs> I'm going to try to contain myself. I'm excited. For the now. next few minutes. I absolutely love this song. This song has been stuck in my head for almost 20 years. <laughs> I just, I, I will, I will walk around my house singing this song. I'm constantly singing it. The chorus is, it's safe to fall if you just trust the ground that you stand on. And I, I love that line. It's true. It has a lot of meaning for me. You know, when I talked to him, Heath told me when Gabe first played that chorus for us, I knew it was going to be a mainstay. Yeah, because that is surround yourself with the right people. Even if you make the wrong decision, Yep, you'll be okay. Yeah, totally. And I think that is as great a life lesson as anybody could give you. Like, I've I don't... been carrying it with me since 2002. Yeah. I, I just, I love the song. If, if, <laughs> if I could, like, just recommend any song from that era for people to listen to and like get a sense of what it was all about i I throw that one on yeah i I think it's a great one like uh, again you really can't pick a bad track off this record to be your favorite one they're just they all offer something different but at the same time they i think they really do go together nicely it's another song about trust he's claiming he'll always be sincere and that he'll never let someone down you should know that i would never let you go i'm here to bear the weight of years She might turn away from him, but he's a solid rock. He won't falter, making himself completely selfless for her. If that's not a declaration of love, I don't know what is. 
again, brilliantly handled. It just it very sing along like you can't help yourself but get caught up in the vocals. And some of the again, the layering here before they go into the chorus that where I, I think he says you can always depend on. Yeah. But there's like three tracks happening all at once yeah. and there's nothing else behind it. It's just their vocal oh, part. It's so and it good. is. Yeah. I, you get I smile every time. Like I just it that's the kind of stuff that gets me. And it is yeah. this record is littered with it. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, when you trust in what you're doing and you trust those foundational ideals you stand on, you know, it's safe to take chances. And, and, you know, sometimes you fail. If you have faith in what you're doing, it's okay to fall, you know. This song hooked me from the first time I ever heard it. And I've always turned the volume up just a little more when this one comes on. I mean, (laughs) I just think that this song is gold. I mean, trying to not go overboard here but, you but know, no but if you, like it. again when a song speaks to you it's hard not to get like not to romanticize it because you yeah it especially if it applies to your life if you had a life experience or life experiences where you're like i've often wondered myself like what is when you have something bad happen you make a mistake you do something stupid you second guess everything so you're like why did i do that why did this happen why did it turn out like that and you don't you sometimes you forget to look back at like if you set yourself good ideals a good foundation yeah, you're going to fail, but we don't, I think we, in a society now, we don't let people fail anymore. And it's like, that's a, they're great lessons that you need to learn in life. And it's just because you made a mistake, doesn't make you a bad person. doesn't make you a failure. doesn't make you a, a screw up. It's just, it's part of growth, yeah. no matter what, how old you are. I don't think it, you're never going to stop making mistakes. Like it right. just is what it is. And yeah. that's learn from it, grow from it and lean on the people you surround yourself with to help you get there. Yeah. And I think that is in a band, friend group, job, whatever. It just, you can apply it to a lot of facets of your life. Yeah, I think people like what they like. Um, I can't explain, you know, really. I mean, I'm trying the best I can. Explain why I love this song so much more than maybe others on this record. It's my favorite one. Someone else might hear this song and be like, oh yeah, it's good. But you know, I like I like like a movie or I like Become What You Hate. Uh, I just think, you know, it's, it's relevant. It's always been a relevant song to me. I just, I can't understand why... I think sometimes too. It wasn't huge. <laughs> again, though, you might you might have encountered that song at a time when you needed it. Like True. I have music yeah. like that in my life where like I might put a record on and I've had it happen. I mean, I, as hokey as it sounds, like a song will break you down. And it's like you might have you might have never thought to hear lyrics put together like that, or somebody perfectly like uh, explains a feeling or a thought that you had that you couldn't get out. Mm. And I think that's what a lot of people discover in music. And it's you grow this attachment to it because it's. It, it's almost like a part of you that you had nothing to do with, but you hear it and you're, it's like, you feel it. You, it's not just like you said, we don't just listen to it. You feel it. And I think that's something that is so unique to how certain people listen to music. And it's like, so you, you develop these attachments that are like, I don't understand why everybody doesn't love this the same way I love it, but it could be that you needed Mm. it when it came out or, you know, somebody else might've heard like you said, like a movie and been like, this is my life. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's, that's the beauty of some of this stuff is that you're not alone. And it mm. music shows you in a very personal way that you're not alone. You know, it's under three minutes. It's perfect for radio. <laughs> Someone missed the boat on this one. <laughs> I think under three minutes is perfect for everything. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. one of those things that if you can get in and out of a full record within like, I would say under an hour for me. Yeah. I even like that 45 minute mark, I think, is where mm. you can just start it again and start it again yeah, yeah. and start it again. Yeah. And I think a lot of bands lose sight of that as they grow because they think they got to do more just and pack more. on the songs. Yeah. yeah. It's just no need. <laughs> All right, let's quit drooling over this one and move on. <laughs> Here we go. Next song is One Last Time. All the times I've tried, I know they're gonna race. Things that brought me down caused you to hurt, caused you to hate. 
Written and sung by guitarist Tyler Rand. My favorite line is, There's comfort in the night when I wake up by your side. It's a song about forgiveness. Moving on past things that cause strain in a relationship, Tyler asks, Can we forget those times? Can we move on? It's a pretty good song, but not one of the most memorable ones for me. Agreed. Uh, this is, pr- oh, um, I can't believe I'm about to say this. This is probably my least favorite song on the record. But least among like greats. Exactly. Something and has to be. There. I don't skip it. it no, just, I for like me, it. it's yeah. it's that <laughs> it, it's good. I like the lyrics. I like the message in it. Uh, I just it. I think when you're surrounded by gems, it's hard to be. Yeah. They can't all be standout hits. And I think, but again, put this on another record, and I probably love it just as much as every other song. Right. Put, put around it because I, I like the sound of uh, I like the sound of Tyler's voice. He has a very unique voice that he stands out differently from the other two. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think uh, Heath and Gabe bleed together in a way that are hard to pick out. Where mm-hmm. I don't feel like it ever happens with him. His voice is very distinct to the other two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I think yeah, they're very distinct voices. Um, yeah, sometimes Gabe and Heath might sound a little. I wouldn't like... say the same, but like they. They have a similar, similar tone, tone to their voices, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's, yeah, Tyler's voice kind of sits on top of that. And I think that's why it sounds so awesome when they all sing together. They complement each other very yeah. well. And it's, yeah, and they're great at doing it. By this time, you know, Gabe had emerged as the band's lead vocalist. But I think it's cool that Heath, Tyler, and Gabe all sing so much on the records. Sometimes it's nice when you're on stage. And I, I assume they must have felt this way. Being a singer, too, I didn't always hate the songs I didn't sing on Mm. because it gave me a chance to just play drums. Yeah. And I'm sure for them, it must have been nice to just play guitar or to just play bass and not have to worry about, you know, making sure you're hitting the right note, making sure you're coming in the right spot. And it's Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize what a headache singing in harmony is live, Mm. as we were talking about before, until you're doing it. And it's when you can't hear and when you're in a shitty club and it's like. (laughs) It just you know you're in a garage somewhere. You just you just got to go for it and practice, practice, practice. But then you get something like this, and it's it reminds everybody it's worth it. Like you hear it, and you're like, oh god, this is what you could be doing. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Heath had mentioned to me that you know they had all been singers in previous bands, and so from the start they really wanted to make music that featured multiple vo- vocals. That was like their their thing. Yeah, set out to do, and they nail it. And it's I think a lot of bands have done it since, and it. And I don't know that any of them have done it as well Mm. because I just, I can't nitpick any one of their voices. I can't fight with the way they handle singing. It's, they pick great harmony parts, lead parts. They seem to know exactly where to drop this stuff. And that to me is, and you you hear their influences. I think Tyler is very much, he had to have been into that Bon Jovi. Like you hear it in his vocals and his, the way he layers in his parts are always very eighties, nineties, almost metal, but like pop. Sure. They have these pop sensibilities that a lot of other bands don't have. All right, moving on to a faulty foundation. Ramping things back up with this great high-energy song. I had actually heard this song on the Disarming Violence comp that came out on Fast Music in 2000. I didn't actually hear it in 2000, but along with Get It Together, it was one of the few tracks I had heard before 
uh, getting this album. And this, yeah, this song really excited me for this release. The, uh, the Disarming Violence version is much longer and certainly a lot rougher. According to Heath, it was the first song the band had written after Save the World, Lose the Girl. He explained, the arrangement of that song is still evolving. When we played it in 2014 at the reunion shows, it was different than when we played it in 2005. I don't know if we ever got it right. Can we just agree right now that if they choose to do a reunion show again, that we're going? Oh, like, totally. uh, I would kill for a Midtown <laughs> reunion, I have to tell you. I would love to see them. I only saw them twice. Same. Yeah. I did get to see them once though, in a very small, like uh, yeah. intimate room and they were they couldn't have been cooler. Like yeah. that that's one of the things that always stuck with me with them too, is that bands like this don't have to take the time to be nice to people, they don't need to like go out of their way. And these guys yeah. are to this day, like you talk to Heath yeah. on the phone. That's incredible. Yeah. Like and it to give you that kind of time, you know, eighteen, twenty years later is right. incredible. It just it's <laughs> You want to talk to, about something I did years ago? Yeah. <laughs> and he's not getting anything from it. Like right. it's just you get to talk about it. Yeah. And I think that's a very cool it's the same way when we sit together as friends and we talk about music or shows or things we did, mm-hmm. it you get to relive it again. And I think that's the fun of all that stuff is like going totally. back and, and <laughs> looking back on it fondly instead of as like a chore a part of your life. Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. This is a song about feeling frustrated about not being treated right by someone. It was obviously written way before the breakdown with drive through so we can't, we yeah, can't, that can't lump out. it in there. But, <laughs> but the song does fit perfectly on you know, the general theme of this record. It's probably why they brought it back. It's too sad that I've got to mediate these faulty sides of you. And I'm wondering, whatever did I do, the only reason that I still remain to you is I go on repeating the excuse. Things are not working out, especially with one person feeling like they have to navigate so many difficulties in their relationship, but also feel like they can't break away. Repeating mistakes, repeating behaviors in the cycle of uncertainty and vulnerability. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it probably didn't mean a whole lot to me as a kid. I'll tell you right now, though, as an adult, whew, uh, that one hits pretty hard. Yeah. But uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, that's the go back and use, uh, you know, other songs to build that foundation back up yeah. because oh, man. that's how you learn. And it I think is, that's yeah. one of those things that until you break the cycle of things like that, it's, again, relatable. Everybody can relate to feeling stuck in a, a loop. And mm-hmm. like, and doing the same things over and over and not, either not knowing or not feeling like there's a way out of it. Definitely. It's one of the fastest songs on the album and features a great melodic guitar solo. Oh yeah. And it is, it is definitely, I would almost say it sticks out from a lot of the other songs on the record. Mm-hmm. It does have that feel of like, it would have been, it could have been on Save the World, Lose the Girl sure. and it would have fit fine. Yeah. And I think that it doesn't so much, it does not that it doesn't fit on this, it just it's different from a lot of the, even the way it sounds, it's different from a lot of the other songs on the record. Yeah. Next song, In the Songs. When now we're bands are playing house shows We fight for to make a change To live our lives the way we dream Despite what they might say, yeah A song about the community of up-and-coming bands struggling together to make it out of the local scene, off the hardwood floors and onto their dreams. It's about supporting each other and having each other's backs. Gabe sings, You're there when I fall. You'd help me be strong. As if to say, we really couldn't have done this without you. For Midtown, it wasn't really far in the past that they were working through the underground scene to build a fan base. 
Remember, just two years ago when our bands were playing house shows, we're fighting for, to make a change, to live our lives the way we dreamed, despite what they might say. Sometimes bands can take a lot of heat from the fans, the scene, other bands. Midtown must have dealt with a lot of this, as their rise was seemingly very fast. The band had recordings out before any of their earliest shows. Wanting to be able to have music ready for people to take home, the band got an EP out very fast. Soon, they were picked up by drive through and then quickly found themselves on a major label. So, sure, I'm sure they took their lumps, probably got called sellouts by any number of jealous or half-witted people. In this song, the bands thank the people who have supported them and extend that support as well. If you've ever been in a band, <laughs> put this song on. Yeah. It is so instantly relatable, and you can relate it to other bands you've played with, people you know. It just, it described for me, like in 2002, this is when I was as deep as I was ever going to get into being in a band or wanting to be in a band. Yep. Oh man, those were the magical years. Ah, oh, dude. 2002, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just couldn't, it was like we couldn't miss Yeah. and everything was fun and it was just new and these are these all new experiences and like they perfectly capture what it's like to hit that camaraderie between when you find that band, like for us, it was you guys. Mm. And it was like, I don't care where we played, what it was. If they're like, oh, no intentions playing, I don't go, let's go. Mm. Even if we play for each other, we're going to have a good time hanging out. And I think that is the, and then think about how many people we share that with just, just the three of us, like, Mm -hmm. and other bands that we've played with. And it's imagine touring across the country with these people and like getting to really know everybody and like just that support within that genre of music and that community is, is incredible. And they capture it and put it out there and you can, I don't care where you're from, what you did. If you've been in a band before, this is, it should be your anthem. Like that's the, like that's how you should want to do it because it's the, that's the fun part of it. I mean, I think one of the smartest things I ever did with my life is start a band. All the people I met, all the experiences that I experienced, all the places I went to, like little halls that we visited and towns that we ate dinner at. and Things you never thought you'd get to do and just to do it with friends. Like you get to do all this stuff with your friends. And that is something that is, we still talk about to this day. If I see my brother, he's like, we'll talk about that skate park at that place we played. Oh, yeah. The The Madison Arts Barn. Yeah. Yeah, the Madison Arts Point. And like, it, these are shows that like I couldn't explain. I don't have anybody else in my life that I could talk to about it that mm. ex- knows it the way you guys do. And it's like right. we did these things together. And this is we're talking twenty years ago now yeah. almost. And yeah. it's it still brings a smile to my face like twenty years later because totally. it, oh, these yeah. are some of the it's the most fun I've ever had like being in a band. Yeah, and that's I think that is this record reminds me of that, and that is something that I'll always hold like close to me because it's it perfectly encapsulates that period of my life. Oh, man, that's a good testament. All right, moving on to the final track on the album, Find Comfort in Yourself. This is the one. Go out with a bang. I'm man. sorry. Like it, <laughs> you'll gush about the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you should know. You should know. I'll gush about this all, right. all day, every day. You got two, two minutes on the clock. Go. Yeah. This song is as good as it gets. Oh. It is, it, oh, when it comes in, I don't get the words. Everything about this is just in your face, angry. He's over feeling sorry. Deal with it. Yeah. And that is something oh. that I think when you want to grow as a person, 
you need to hit that point where you don't give a shit what anybody else thinks about what you're doing. And that's where you finally get that freedom that is, mm. I'm sorry you feel that way, but you need to learn to live with it because it's not going to be different. You got to take one for yourself. And I think when you look at the progression of this record, where what they talk about, the relationships, how they've soured, these things that have happened, that whole time he talks about how they see how it happened. They're not necessarily mad about it, but listen, we're not doing it again. Mm. And I think that is as clear a statement to end a record with as it's like full circle without saying that it's a concept record or doing something like that. Mm. Like they became what they hated. Now they're comfortable with who they are and they're not going to apologize for that anymore. And I think that is like, it's growth. That's growth. Start to finish. Definitely. As far as album closers go, this one is perfect to put the final exclamation mark on a high energy, intense record. Oh, it, it just, most bands will never close a record out like this. (laughs) It's, you could have, this song could open the CD. It could have been the single. Like it is, it's that good. And it is just so, so in your face and it, in the best way possible. Mm. And I feel like I look forward to the entire, I let, even if I want to skip a song, I make myself listen because I knew when I got here, <laughs> I'd be that much more excited. And you get, you like anticipate it before you're even there. Up, yeah. You're like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. And like, <laughs> I remember I saw them once at the University of Hartford and nobody else was there. This show was ridiculous. Mm. And it, we're front row. And they were just screwing around on stage, but they were using a loop of like noise to go in front of this. Mm. I had no idea what they were going to play. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they just broke into this. Mm. And it was, they opened their show with it. And I was, yeah, they had me right away because wow. this my favorite song off the record. Yeah. And they're just going to go and like hit you in the face with it when they open a show. <laughs> and that's, and it just goes to show you it's a good opener. It's a good closer. It's, it's good. Timeless, man. Like this song is just, oh. Yeah, I could go on for days. <laughs> it's a song about being comfortable in your skin, as you mentioned. Other people can't do it for you. You know, it's like if you can't love yourself, then no one else is going to be able to either. Or at least you won't let them. The line, find comfort in yourself. I know what you have is not what you are. Points to people who try to surround themselves with people and things. But true happiness comes from that acceptance of yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I think sometimes you need to go through something awful to really give you perspective on what is important totally for you. And I think like some people, I was definitely one of those people that was into material things. And like, you see that stuff and you're like, I want that. I want this. Mm. And then something happens and you learn that that really isn't the stuff that impacts your life. Like, and that's, and then when you were comfortable with who you want to be, it's a lot easier to make decisions going forward. And I think Mm. it's a great, again, as a kid, I couldn't understand it as an adult. I listened to it different. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And they actually got Vinny on this one. So Vinny from I Am the Avalanche, uh, the movie Life, added additional backing vocals on this one. You I don't hear, know that I've ever caught it. I'll have to listen to it there. now. Yeah, give it a listen. All right, man. So <laughs> we're going to move on. We're looking at the artwork for the, for the record. The phrase, living well is the best revenge, goes back to the 17th century English poet George Herbert. Pictured on the cover of this record are two young women who appear to be sitting at a bar with a record player. The blonde in the back is holding a record, but I can't for the life of me make out what record it is. I actually asked Heath about it, and he could not recall. Uh, he did recall seeing the girl with the black hair years later in a shampoo commercial, but nobody knows what record she's holding. They're hanging out at a bar. They're listening to records. There's a Midtown poster on the wall behind them. Uh, the inside of the booklet features shots of the band and their friends at a bar. The guy behind the bar was the band's guitar tech at the time, also, a photographer friend of the band and his dog can be found uh, in, the, in the pictures. Tyler is wearing a red David Bowie shirt. 
but uh, his face is actually blurred out. I don't know if you noticed that. I did not notice. I don't think they wanted to go through like clearing oh, it. Oh, yep. I think they wanted to go through clearing it, so they just blurred him out. That's a good way to go. Yeah. It looked artsy at the time. <laughs> Nobody would have given it a second thought. Art direction uh, was done by Tim Stedman with pictures by Justin Stevens. Uh, the back has the band gazing out at us over what looks like empty bar glasses. Yeah. I always liked this layout, but not for like – if you ask me to pick my favorite cover, I would say Save the World, Lose the Girl is a much more interesting album cover mm. for me. Uh, but I always liked the way this one looked, and I don't know if it's because I love the record so much mm-hmm. or just the color palette is also very – the red with the black just looks good. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that – and, of course, you know who doesn't like at that time in your life pretty girls that are sure. standing in the front in a bar. <laughs> I mean it's just – it's. It, Exactly. It's it's alluring in a way that like it just looks good. It's classic looking. You know, they got their logo in the top and it's it, I will tell you this too. It looks it just looks good on even on vinyl. You see it and it's yeah. it looks like a record. Yeah. It's me. an interesting album cover. Yeah. It's totally uh All right, let's close this thing down, Jay. As the 2000s got rolling, Midtown moved from drive-through records to MCA as everyone was snatching up what was labeled pop punk at the time. Midtown tours included opening acts like Dashboard Confessional, Senses Fail, and Taking Back Sunday. With an explosive new album in Living Wells, The Best Revenge, the band seemed poised to make a huge impact. But oddly, the band quietly slipped away as those opening bands became huge. Caught in limbo between record labels, Midtown was able to gain their freedom and release one more album before quietly disappearing. What happened? Some will argue that without proper label support, the band missed its chance for bigger opportunities. Some will argue that the stress of the band's relationship with Drive Through and then Universal left the band feeling unmotivated to keep moving. Maybe people just didn't know a great album when they heard one. Who knows? What's fact is that Midtown came out of New Jersey with two incredibly well-crafted albums and one pretty decent follow-up before calling it quits. They should have been huge. For me, this record is a perfect time capsule of what was fun and interesting about the so-called pop-punk explosion. With its multiple vocal parts, intricate song structures, and pure energy, this album has remained in high rotation as the novelty of bands like, say, Newfound Glory and Fall Out Boy, for me, faded away almost instantly. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. This is the one that, if I'm going back to grab a Midtown record, it's this one every time. Yeah. And it... I would say the same. It's still one of my rotation records from that era where it's, I probably don't go more than two or three months without listening to it just because it's, it's like that, I don't know, like an old pair of shoes or something you just go back to that thing that just feels comfortable. And it's, it reminds me every time of why I love music. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing I love about it is that it immediately gets me hyped up again to go work on something or, or go see, like, I don't go to shows anymore because I, you know, you get older and it's not as much fun to stand there for that long. Exactly. My feet are. Oh dude, my back, my feet, it's awful. But like you hear stuff like this and you're like, Oh man, if they ever got back together, I'd be so about going to see them live. And I think that's the, that's the fun of it. Like that's, that's what makes them great is that you miss it and you want it back. And if they had stuck around, would I still remember it as fondly as I do now, if they became that huge band and Mm. how many bands are like that out of that era that you'd think to yourself, yeah, these guys should have been so much bigger. And it's just, like, and then do they look at it the way we do, where it's like, you get this cool, incredible record that whether it was huge or not, you made it and they get to like, listen to it and have that as something that they put out in the world. I think that's neat. Like it's, it's, you know, 
18 years later, two people are still talking about it. So it impacted somebody. Definitely. And I think that's, that's cool. Like that's a, if you reach one person and it matters to them, then it's, you did something that a lot of people in their life will never do. Sure. I mean, I don't think it gets any better than that. Nope. All right, Jay. Well, thank you so much for coming down here today and hanging out and talking Midtown with me. Oh, I loved it. Always a blast. I'd also like to thank Heath and Rob from Midtown. I had an opportunity to chat with Heath and exchange emails with Rob. I'd also like to thank the This Was The Scene podcast with Mike Doyle. Give it a listen. If you've ever uh, been in a band, you're going to want to check out that podcast. Lots of great stories about New Jersey scene. And I feel like those stories apply anywhere. I mean, we were doing Western Mass. And when I listened to this podcast, I'm like, yep, we did that. Yep, that happened to us. Yep. There's certain things that only playing in a in a tour, not touring band, but like a, a band that plays shows regularly that you're only gonna yeah. encounter doing it. And it's totally. and it don't care who you talk to, everybody's got like their horror stories about having done it. <laughs> and it's you laugh about them now, but at the time they were super annoying. And it's it well, it's fun to hear that like other bands went through the same. Yeah, stuff. Well, it's not just you. Like, it, like, it's oh, almost like man, the rite yeah. of passage <laughs> of doing it, where you're like, I see kids now that go from their bedroom to yeah. you know superstardom, and I'm like, mm, I know, I'm, I'm that old guy. Yeah. Get off my lawn, like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally, man. What are you, you gonna, gonna do? just get out there and rough it for for a couple of years? You know. Yeah, you got to play some bad shows, chase the people down. They're supposed to pay you, and you know, you, totally, or just play to an empty room. Sure. I'd like to thank you, Craig, for engineering the session today. Oh, thank you, back, again, sir. Feeding us beer and hanging out. Yeah. I'd like to thank everyone who has sent emails. I love hearing about how you all got into these records. We all have a lot of very similar stories, and it's been cool to connect with other record nerds out there. Drop us an email at talkingrecordspodcast at outlook.com and let us know how you discovered Midtown. All right, well, that's it for today. Thanks for hanging out. See you later. Peace.